Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Touching the Past with your host, Trisha Markle. Hello, my name is Trisha Markle and welcome to Touching the Past, a program where we explore the heritage of Huntsville and area it's past and not too distant past. For anyone who has anything to do with Algonquin Park, they'll recognize the name of my guest today, Craig McDonald. Craig has worked for 24 years in Algonquin Park and his decades of experience canoeing, hiking, snowshoeing and skiing throughout Ontario and to quote from the Al- Friends of Algonquin Park website has made countless contributions locally, provincially and internationally. On the last program, we're talking about Boncana and other interesting items. Craig will continue his stories on Craig McDonald, Park Ranger, Part 2. Craig, take it away. We're ju- I'm just fascinated with all these stories. Well, I'd like to uh, maybe provide a few secrets about the snowshoe. And uh, we're going to talk about um, the type of snowshoes that I would wear when I'm in my sugar bush uh, to make things easier. And I think there, there's a lot of misconceptions about snowshoes and that I would like to clear up right now. And uh, one of them is uh, snowshoe netting. On a lot of snowshoes, you'll notice that they're very, very finely woven. And uh, if I ask somebody, why are those snowshoes uh, finely woven? The common answer that I get is, Oh, those snowshoes are for walking in deep powder snow. Actually, the fine netting is put on snowshoes for a reason, uh, for the reason of making them lighter. When you use fine netting, the snowshoe uh, loses significant weight. And of course, Lifting those snowshoes out of the snow every time uh, you take a step is a lot of work. And um, you want to make the snowshoeing easier. And the way to do that is making the snowshoe lighter. Because even a few ounces of weight on your feet is significant. It's not like carrying a few more ounces on your back. A few more ounces on your feet counts for a lot. So these uh, nettings, uh, which we call Noia Shkeme, are used uh, primarily further north in Algonquin Park. And the reason why they're not used around here is because we have snow conditions that change. Uh, we have thaws uh, that, that cause the snow to uh, the change character and it becomes heavier. And when you get uh, heavier snow, especially if it's wet, these light, delicate, finely woven nettings can be destroyed. So normally around here, what we use are snowshoes that are woven with much thicker, heavier babiche. We call them seguin Shkeme, which means a spring netting. And 
but even spring netting is no match for the conditions that we have toward the very end of the season when we're doing our sugar bush operation. So what we do to make things easier, in the old days, uh, the native people would put the guards, and the guards are uh, strips uh, in the old days, uh, uh, a little sheet of leather that wraps around the outside frames of the snowshoes to protect the the knots that are uh, at the edge of the of the snowshoe, but they also do something else, which is very important. They remove the adibus, and the dibus is the toe netting, and when you do that, when all this heavy wet snow falls on top of your snowshoe, you can lift the snowshoe out. If you leave the adibus in, you're not going to walk very far. Maybe a hundred feet, and you'd be totally exhausted. Maybe not even that. It 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 becomes so difficult. You're almost stranded. So when I have uh, my snowshoes for the sugar bush, I have no toe netting, and I have no toe tail netting. And in place of the uh, the babiche netting, I have steel rods. <laughs> so I'm walking on steel rods and these snowshoes uh, at the end of the year, uh, of course, they're heavier than, than a regular snowshoe, but they are tough and they can take this uh, spring snow and I can use them until I don't need them any longer. And the snow is, is uh, shallow enough that I can walk around in rubber boots or whatever to, to do my uh, yoking my uh sap into the where I boil it so because uh, you can imagine that I'm I'm snowshoeing around sometimes uh, when I'm tapping not every year I have to do this but uh, when when there's a lot of snow I I have to use uh, snowshoes to uh, do the tapping in the sugar bush and and do some of the collecting even so that's the way it goes well I've and, got to uh, say that I'm just totally fascinated <laughs> with all this snowshoe thing because be, I came over from England and two years I'm up here and my husband and his brothers put me on snowshoes and proceed to laugh as I flounder around in the snowbank. And that's my one and only adventure on snowshoes. But I perhaps needed you around to show me how to do it and not have them laugh at me. Yes. Well, I, I would say to you that um, before we have all these modern conveniences like snow plows and... and uh, uh, snowmobiles and, and uh, you know, the modern society that we have, uh, snowshoes were absolutely essential here. You could not live in the Muskokas uh, without snowshoes in the wintertime. You couldn't move around. Uh, the snow was too deep. And uh, skis, uh, certainly the native people in this area recognized that... Uh, the, the principle of a ski, I mean, of course, that's what their sleighs have. They have ski runners. So they understood the principle, but really uh, skis are not a good idea here, um, except under certain snow conditions, unless you have a prepared track. Um, and the reason for that is uh, unlike uh, a snowshoe, where you can use it off trail and, and just wander through the bush. 
the skis uh, become very difficult. They're very difficult on hills, and they're 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 difficult because we have a lot of fallen timber here, uh, a lot of fallen trees in the bush, and that makes it tough. So the snowshoes you can step over stuff. Where skiing, you have to ski around it, and it's not so good. So all these people that came from Scandinavia, the Norwegians and and the the Swedes and Finns, uh, particularly up north, and I know this from my parents because they they live in the Timmins. Uh, area uh, they live in Timmins, and uh, they were friends of of these people that were, you know, really enjoyed skiing. But for practical work, uh, uh-uh. they uh, they got off their skis and got on the snowshoes. They found that it was a much more practical way, and that is why we have so much emphasis traditionally on snowshoes. Well, we're going to have to take a break, but. There's more interesting stories to come from Craig shortly. We'll be back in a moment. By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. This is Touching the Past with your host, Trisha Markle. Welcome back to Touching the Past with my guest, Craig McDonald. We're going to change topics a little bit. We've discovered everything, well, lots to know about snowshoes, but now I want to get a little more personal. I want to ask Craig about himself. Tell us a little bit about your story, Craig. How did you become a park ranger and what drew you to the whole outdoors? All right. Uh, well, my situation is that uh, I uh, was at a youth camp when I was young And uh, I first started canoeing in 1953. And uh, my first ride was in a Sunnyside cruiser on Lake Ontario. But uh, I I went to camp uh, as a child in in this area, and I did a lot of canoeing. I I worked at Camp Calendalore as a guide after uh, I got older. And I... Uh, toward the end of my career as a canoeing guide, I was doing about a thousand miles a summer. So I was paddling from one side of Ontario to the other, you know, going down the northern many times to James Bay and running all sorts of rivers up in the north and and traveling. I'd, I'd traveled uh, extensively, of course, in Algonquin Park and and many other areas, uh, and not necessarily in all in, in Ontario. I did a lot of canoe travel in Quebec as well. Uh, so I traveled extensively uh, by canoe. And then uh, I made uh, money uh, doing this because uh, I could uh, travel. Uh, I, I was in the canoe, and I, I made money to go to school. That way, so I, I, my schooling actually, I've got a postgraduate degree in, in, in fisheries. I went off to California, and uh, did work in, uh, in the marine uh, in the Pacific Ocean. I worked at the U.S. Naval Weapons Station in Seal Beach, California, during the Vietnam War, and we were the principal suppliers of munitions for the, uh, the Pacific Fleet there. And uh, I, uh, but I wasn't involved in in the in the military, and I was into biological research, fisheries research, and uh, 
it was kind of an interesting place to work. Sounds they like had it. my toe prints and they had my fingerprints. <laughs> and I was checked out by the RCFP, the FBI and all the rest of it. So you but were really vetted. It, it was a very high security area. But uh, I got, uh, I, I graduated and... Uh, I get kind of tired of uh, the, the the concept of driving down the San Diego freeway daily. Uh, that That's not the life I wanted, uh, to, to live in some massive urban area that's smoggy. And, and I mean, it was a wonderful climate, but uh, don't get me wrong. And the surfing was pretty good. But, but uh, there's a real downside <laughs> to it, though. There, there's I a downside. California. And I, I said, uh, I think I'll head her home. And, and I joined uh, the lands and forests. And I had a, an abrupt career change and I was hired by lands and forests to do research on canoe routes. So I, uh, was involved in, uh, writing the, uh, canoe routes of Ontario. And I also did specific research in Southern Ontario on all the, the canoe routes, uh, in detail for, for Southern Ontario. So that was my first uh, uh, start at the Ministry of Natural Resources. And uh, what I did is uh, I moved from uh, office to office. I even worked in at Queen's Park in the head office. I put three years in there. didn't like that too much. <laughs> it's almost as <laughs> no, bad as No, 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 I was right? terrible. <laughs> Te- actually terrible. I didn't like that at all. So uh, uh, I worked... Um, at various places, I've worked over in Bracebridge uh, at the uh, Natural Resources Office there, and uh, I even at one time groomed the 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 trails over there across the road at uh, Bracebridge Resource Management Center. But uh, my big uh, period, I I worked initially in Algonquin Park, did stuff uh, research there in the early nineteen seventy two seventy three area. And then uh, another burst of work there on the shoreline work and master plan work in uh, 75. And then I uh, took off uh, and uh, worked at the Frost Center for about 14 years. I'm going to interject here because I found a wonderful quote (laughs) that kind of ties in with what uh, Craig just kind of skimmed over the fact that he did a lot of work on canoe routes. And the quote is, I have been around every shoreline of every island of every lake that is on a canoe route. Now, that was mainly to designate campsites and determine capacity, I guess, with that. But he just sort of skimmed over it. But, I mean, I don't think there's very many people that can actually say that about Algonquin Park. And you must know the whole park like the back of your hand. Well, I don't think anybody fully knows Every square inch, but uh, I, the waterways, uh, I I know a fair bit about. Uh, it sounds very romantic to run around a canoe and all of that, but um, there are some downsides. You you have to think that you know everybody has this vision of a beautiful summer day paddling a canoe, but got to realize we're also paddling them in November oh. and early December, <laughs> so we're caked in ice, and uh, it's not. It's not uh, as as quite as pleasant to 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 operate. So it, we were here doing a lot of this work through uh, harsh seasons, really. Yeah, so, we do have this yeah. glamorous idea of you know yeah. this lazy canoe paddle, but for somebody that's actually <laughs> no. part of their job, yeah. 
there's not, a, yeah. you know, there's good days and not so good days. And, and another thing you have to realize is that uh, to do that, you say, well, how the heck? That, uh, that's 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 thousands of miles to do that, to go around every shoreline. But you have to realize we had outboard motors to, oh, to no, push our canoe. Be. Oh, no, I have to tell you the <laughs> truth. Uh, we had outboard motors often. I'd have a four horsepower motor that, but the downside is I have to carry the doggone motor on my shoulder over all the portages. Oh, there's always so, a downside. So, so, so that, oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So carrying gasoline and all this other equipment that we had to carry, uh, that's a significant labor. You know, I would to think doing so. All that yeah. And, yeah. Now, is there anything you would, I, I'm sure I would love to have you back because we've only just touched on, on briefly on a lot of your thing. Because, I mean, you have, you're famous also for the historical map of tomogamy. And I mean, that's, that keeps popping up again on, I did my research on the internet, checked you out. And I mean, that's something else that's just fascinating. And I think we should uh, yeah, perhaps get together at some point and, Talk about some other things because, Craig, you have had one interesting life. And uh, I hope you're writing all these down. Well, I'm doing some work uh, on the writing on, on specific. Uh, right now I'm doing research on uh, and, and writing on, on sledding. That's what I've been focusing on uh, right at the present time. But uh, these, you know, it's not, it, these things for me take a lot of time. Oh. That, uh, that map up north, uh, that took 26 years. Oh, to, 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 to. well, good things come to yes. those that wait yeah. and work yeah. on them. And in fact, as we were coming in, you mentioned that you had just returned from a trip to Algonquin Park where you're doing more research there yes, still. Yes, I was out on Gallery Lake with uh, some uh, uh, archaeolog archaeological uh, uh, specialists. Uh, from Quebec and and from uh, and we went out to see some uh, some sites on uh, Gilary Lake. Yeah, so uh, it was a beautiful day yesterday. <laughs> well, <laughs> to be I'm, out on the water. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it, and yeah. I really do appreciate the time that you spent with us. And Craig is such a busy person. I'm hoping that we can get him back at some time later because we're just, as I mentioned before, we've just touched on some of his stories and his life skills. So. Until next time, this has been Touching the Past on Hunters Bay Radio 88.7. Join us on our next program where we explore more heritage. <laughs> <laughs>